Well, it is good to see all of you uh, today. You know, um, just want to let you know that, believe it or not, um, I'm supposed to be Rex Keener. Um, uh, Rex was supposed to be here tonight, but because of the uh, the nor'easter, the blizzard, he his uh, air his flight got canceled uh, flying up from a speaking engagement further down south. So we had to make some uh, kind of like on the spot decisions. Like, and you get me. Sorry about that. So. <clears throat> But anyway, hey, well, that was a nice golf clap, you know? That was one of those, those nice golf claps, you know? Such a nice group. <laughs> you know, uh, four, there you go. Oh, nice shot. Okay. Um, you know, we, I hope you've been enjoying this uh, series on wealth because we have been uh, thoroughly enjoying it at uh, all the outlying sites. And uh, if you have your Bible today, would you open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 15? And uh, we're going to use Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 24 as kind of the the home base, uh, will you, uh, uh, for the last part of this series in Wealth, Is It Worth It? Luke chapter 15. And before we start, let's just ask for God's blessing upon our time today. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for every opportunity that we have to gather as a community before the power and truth of your word. Lord, as we huddle around it, may we uh, desperately seek its truth. And Lord, I pray that we would equally be uh, passionate as your truth is uh, uh, discovered and unearthed, God, that we may be bold enough to embrace it no matter how hard it may be. Because our desire is to honor you no matter the situation. So Lord, we pray that your spirit would be uh, overwhelmingly present here in this place, in our gathering. And we pray for uh, Pastor Rex, wherever he may be, that he would be safe and warm, that you give him safe travels uh, this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there was a professional golfer by the name of Doug Sanders who talked about his flamboyant lifestyle. He said, I'm working as hard as I can to get my life and my cash to run out at the same time. He said that. And if I can die right after lunch on Tuesday, everything will be great. You know, as we continue our series, we come to the last part of our series on on wealth, and it's called Spend Wealth Wisely. You know, I think there are a lot of us who spend kind of, uh, who spend kind of recklessly, and we run out of money before we run out of life, and we get ourselves into all kinds of difficulties. You know, there's this old country song that says, there's just too much month left at the end of the money. There's good theology in those old country songs, don't you think? We can't give to the church as we want to. We can't save for the future that we, we, that we know we should. We can't relax and enjoy life because we're under such financial stress. Did you know that bankruptcy filings totaled 911,086 for the 12-month period ending March 31st, 2015? That is according to the statistics released by the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts. I think the most needed subject is not how we can increase our earning power, but rather how we can discipline our spending habits. The best example of somebody in the Bible who spent 
unwisely is the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You've heard that parable dozens of times about the boy who took his father's inheritance and headed for the far country. We commonly use that story as a warning against sinful living. I want to look at it again today as a warning against sinful spending. Here was a man who learned the lessons of extravagance the hard way. Uh, There are several mistakes the prodigal son made that we can make if we're not careful. First, he overestimated the importance of wealth. He overestimated the importance of wealth. Jesus had said, beware of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of the things she or he possesses. But the prodigal son did not believe that. And at some point in his life, his priorities changed. His possessions became more precious to him than his own family, even his own integrity. So he said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that are mine. You know, the book of Proverbs lists five things that are more important than money. The first is reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A second commodity more important than money is wisdom. Proverbs 3.13-14 says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. The third is integrity. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and do not sell it. The fourth is intelligence. Proverbs twenty fifteen writes, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. And fifthly, harmonious relationships. Proverbs 15, 16 through 17 writes, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Perhaps we could and would add to that list. Maybe joy or freedom, good health. And if I asked you, you'd probably add a number of other things. You know, Jesus added to that list. He added salvation. He asked the question, what does it gain, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? But even though we know there are a lot of things in life more important than money, we seem to need to be reminded of it again and again. Why? Because we're surrounded, it seems like, by people who evaluate everything in terms of dollars and cents. In his book, Balancing the Tightrope, author Perry Powell says that in a survey of 200,000 college freshmen, get this, 76% listed financial prosperity as the most important of their life goals. You know, Steve Jobs, the legendary genius behind the Apple Corporation, 
Ultimately, he lost his battle with pancreatic cancer in October of 2011. And nearing the end of his life, stories emerged that Job's thoughts had turned to truth rather than technology during his last days and weeks. And shortly before his death, he wrote this. I reach the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. In the darkness, I look at the green lights from the life-supporting machines and hear the humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of God, of death, drawing closer. Now I know when we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. Something that is more important, perhaps relationships, perhaps art, perhaps a dream from younger days. The wealth I have won in my life, I cannot bring with me. Wow. I find those to be pretty haunting words, don't you? But he's basically saying, look, I realize on my deathbed that I overestimated the importance of wealth. A second mistake the prodigal son made was he wanted instant gratification. Instant gratification. This inheritance was going to be his someday. But when his father died... But he wasn't willing to wait for the death of his father. He said, I want it right now. You know, it is said of those who are baby boomers, for those who are baby boomers, that we grew up in an era of luxury. Your parents worked hard and long to obtain a certain style of living. That you grew up with the dangerous notion that you were entitled immediately to that same style of living, even though it took your parents 25 to 30 years to get there. So now, as adults, many of you routinely spend your whole paycheck and more because you're accustomed to instant gratification. And if you can't pay the bills, you think it must be okay because, after all, we have to sustain this standard of living. Listen to the promotions. Why wait? Enjoy it now. Pay for it later. You can drive away today and not make your first payment until April. 90 days, same as cash. Can I tell you something, people? 90 days is never the same as cash. Try it sometime and say, well, 90 days is up. Is it free now? No. You've got to have the cash. Here's a young couple. They need, new fa- they need new family room furniture. The old is wearing out, but we don't have the money to buy it. Oh, get Uncle MasterCard. He'll get it for us. And if we're going to do it, let's do it right. 
$5,000 to redecorate the family room, and we'll pay it back in five years. 18% interest, $127 a month, and in five years, you know how much that $5,000 renovation uh, project will cost you? $7,620. And if that's not bad enough, you establish a pattern that is so easy to follow. About a year before you get the family room furniture paid off, then you think you have to have new playground equipment for your children because they're getting older and you better get a video camera to take pictures of them on that playground equipment. So it's another three to $4,000 on another credit card and you've got a cycle that can get you deeper and deeper into debt. Can I tell you, it's a matter of learning delayed gratification. Something I'm trying to teach my own, my own twin boys as they're, uh, they've come into the age where they have the choice of either spending birthday and Christmas money right now or saving their birthday or Christmas money, right? I'm trying to teach them you don't need instant gratification of cash in hand. I'm trying to teach them how to save. It is so tough to learn, to wait or save, but it would make a world of difference, don't you think? But when you combine an exaggerated value of things with a passion for instant gratification, you have the seedbed for a lifetime of indebtedness. A third mistake that the prodigal son made was he spent his money on sinful activity. He spent his money on sinful activity. The Bible says he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, it doesn't really tell us exactly what he did. The older brother later on says to the father in anger, hey, I never took your property and wasted it on prostitutes. Well, we're not sure that's what he he did, but he wasted it on sinful living. Can I tell you something? Sin is costly, as some of us well know. And the pain of the payment always exceeds the pleasure of the purchase. Think about the money some people squander on alcohol abuse or drug abuse, gambling, pornography, maintaining a mistress, lawyers and detectives, divorce fees, child support, doctor bills and medicines. You can come out of the grocery store behind some people and they've got a six-pack of beer, a carton of cigarettes, movie magazines, $5 for a lottery ticket, and the bill comes to $40. And if they do that once a week, that's $2,000 in a year. Proverbs 23, 21 reads, For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. A fourth mistake that the prodigal son made is he spent more than he had. He spent more than he had. He spent more than his resources. You know, someone said, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep's going to be your downfall. Let me repeat that so you can follow me, right? If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep's going to be your downfall. This man, though, had an advantage because when he spent everything he had, that was it. He hit a brick wall. He had no credit cards. 
But today, we spend everything we have, and because of easy credit, we can go deeper and deeper and not realize how far we've gone. We get letters all the time for more credit cards, but I'm a preferred customer. I'm special. And because of my outstanding credit rating, they will entrust me with more maximum spending power. You probably don't have that privilege, right? Just a few of us special people do. You know what they know? They know this. Average Americans spend, on average, 34% more using credit cards than cash during the year. 34% more if you use your credit cards. The average interest rate within a year is about 18%. And when they max one card, they start another, and then a third, and a fourth. You know, one husband said to his uh, wife's credit card, uh, said that his wife's credit card was stolen. But he didn't turn it in because the thieves were racking up less than his wife had been. Larry Burkett said, After years of counseling with families, he has determined that men are more of a problem than women. The wives buy impulsively, the husbands buy extravagantly. Yes, I will take that boat. Right? Look, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to be in debt. Did you hear me? The Bible does not say it's wrong to be in debt. It doesn't say debt is a sin. But the Bible does caution us against debt, and it reminds us again and again that whatever debt you incur, you should pay it back as quickly as you can, as well as to pay it back on time. Here's the truth. Some Christians are so deeply in debt that they're hoping for this second coming of Jesus Christ to rescue them. They are. Can I tell you that's irresponsible and dishonest? Listen carefully. There is nothing wrong with credit cards either. They can be, valu- they can be a valuable tool if used responsibly. If you don't buy more than your resources and if you pay at the end of the month, you don't have to pay any interest. Then they help you establish credit and keep records. But the truth is the banking industry is counting on you not being disciplined enough to do that. If you pay off your credit card every month, they don't make any money off of you. Do you know what you're called if you pay off your credit card every month in some banking circles? You are called... A deadbeat. (laughs) A deadbeat. It used to be that a deadbeat was somebody who didn't pay their bills. Now a deadbeat is someone who pays on time and doesn't incur any interest. Get a dose of reality. The bottom line is if you keep spending more than you earn, like the prodigal son, you're going broke this very minute. Now, the prodigal made one other serious financial mistake. He didn't anticipate any hard times. 
Luke 15, 14 says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. You know, I think he could see his bank account dwindling, but he probably told himself, times are good. When I'm out of cash, I'll just get a job. I've got a lot of friends. But suddenly, a famine came, and those friends were gone, and he was in need. Some financial advisors today are warning us that the U.S. economy will be going into another prolonged recession. Uh, Tell you the truth, I have no idea. But I do know this. Even if our economy were totally stable and growing, we should still anticipate some personal famines and hard times. That's just good common sense. It may be doctor bills, children's braces, a car accident, a pregnancy that takes away a second income, parents' illnesses. There's no way you can prepare for every contingency. You do the best you can and trust God. But a wise planner makes some allowance for the unexpected. Proverbs 21.20 reads, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You know how the Good News Bible paraphrases that? Stupid people spend it as fast as they get it. Good paraphrase. But in spite of all his bad decisions, there are several things that the prodigal son did right. And we're going to move much faster with these, but I want you to see several things he did well. First, he went to work. He went to work. Luke 15, 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He took a job. It wasn't a glamorous job. It was a terrible job feeding pigs. Listen, when you get into financial trouble, be willing to go to work. Stop looking for a quick fix. That will get you into deeper trouble. But be willing to go to work even at the most meager employment. You may not see any way out. The numbers don't add up, but God honors the diligent. God honors the diligent. Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. A second thing he did right was he acknowledged his bondage. He got so hungry. He wanted to eat the pig's food. The Bible says he came to his senses. Isn't that a great phrase? He came to his senses. He woke up, he said, my father has servants who are eating better than I. I am slave to this pig farmer. Proverbs 22, 7 writes, the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, there's this one story I like to share that there's this, uh, I remember a young man once came to me. He said, hey, you want to see um, my new car? This is mine. This is my new car. I own this. I said, are you making car payments on this? He said, yes, I am. I said, no, no, no. The car owns you. And it was true. 
If you're always borrowing money and in debt, you're not free to give and you're not free to enjoy and you're not free to concentrate. You're spending your time working to pay back the interest to the banker. There are some telltale signs of bondage. Here's some telltale signs that you are in financial bondage. Number one, guilt. Every time you go out to eat or buy your child a gift or enjoy entertainment that is costly, maybe you feel guilty because you're thinking that money ought to go to debt retirement. Another is deception. When you're out with others, you feel hypocritical because you're pretending to live at a standard that is really not real. Number three, stress. You find yourself stalling the creditors, uh, hating to go to the mailbox, and not wanting to answer the phone. 80% of American families experience the pressure of overdue bills. 80%. Or maybe you have a preoccupation. You're worried about money all the time. You can't concentrate. You even dread a series on money in church. Or bickering. The word money is a fighting word in your home. It's a four-letter word in your home. Envy. You're jealous of others who have more. Or maybe you feel resentment. You're angry at God for not increasing your supply or bettering your situation. Or perhaps you're feeling loneliness. You feel alienated from some of your friends, friends who seem so free. You're uncomfortable in church because you're not giving what you should, even though nobody knows it but you. Or perhaps you're feeling hopelessness. You see no way out and you're getting deeper and deeper in trouble. Or maybe you're experiencing low self-esteem. There's a sense of failure as you move further away from the image you're projecting and the financial freedom you want to experience. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to come to your senses. Maybe it's time to swallow your pride and say, boy, it's my ego, my insecurity and my jealousy that have made me spend more than I earn And yes, maybe I am in bondage. Proverbs 27, 12 writes, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Are you in bondage? You know, the third thing that the prodigal son did right was he developed a plan. He said, I'm going to get up and go back to my father and say, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son, but would you hire me as your servant? He had a plan. He used his intelligence to find a way out. And if we're going to design a way out intelligently, there has to be two things. Two things. Number one, a budget. That dreaded word, budget. 
Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Do you have a budget? You know, if you have ever taken our Financial Peace University classes, they teach you how to make a budget, to have an entertainment budget, to have a spending limit. And then if you don't, if it's not listed, or you don't fit it into the budget, you just don't do it. That's why it's called a budget. A budget is a spending diet. It is a way of practicing wise stewardship. Some of us make more than we need. And we get along okay without a budget. But if you budgeted, you would have more to spend and you would have more to give. A budget guides and tells you when you're on course, just as a good rope map does when you're driving in an unfamiliar area. The first, was, first word was budget. The second thing is, if you're going to plan, you need discipline. If you're going to plan, you need discipline. Proverbs thirteen eighteen writes, He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is honored. To experience financial freedom requires the discipline of self-denial. You learn to say, I'd like to have that, but I can't afford it, so I'm going to wait. Or, no, we're not going to buy it right now. We're going to save up for it. That's discipline. Some of you need to practice discipline in credit buying. You've gone so far in debt, you need to have a moratorium on using those cards. Or maybe even cut cut them up. (gasps) Say, we're going to dedicate ourselves to paying back these debts before we buy anything else. And 90% of any extra money we make, we're going to put right back into debt retirement. Because where else can you get 18% on your money? Where else can you get 18% on your money? You know, this church practices budget and discipline. What's true for the church is true for you personally. Some of you honestly need to move down in lifestyle. Better to live in a home you can afford and drive a car you can pay for than go around faking it all the time and trying to impress people and being miserable with a burden of indebtedness on your shoulders. I notice a fourth positive factor about the prodigal son. He started immediately. Luke 15, 20 says, so he got up and went. He acted. He didn't wait when he realized his plan. Now the one advantage some of you don't have is this. He was single. He didn't have to persuade his spouse. He just acted. You know, one thing I am concerned about in this series is causing a rift in marriages. In most marriages, you fight over three things. Sex, children, and money. And surprisingly, the biggest problem in most marriages is what? Money. 
It is so easy for husbands and wives to accuse each other, isn't it? You're careless. You're a miser. My dad would have never done this. I don't want to live like your dad. And you go home from church bickering or pouting. Don't fight, but don't ignore the problem either. It won't go away on its own. Start today. In love, sit down and communicate without getting all hyper. Arrive at a conclusion and start immediately. There's no magic formula. Budget and discipline. It may take a long time to recover, but you begin to feel better immediately if you know you're getting the situation under control. You know, Ron Blue says, getting in debt is as easy as slipping down an icy mountain. Getting out is as difficult as climbing back up. But the longer you wait, the farther down the mountain you slide. Now, the final step of the product was the most important. He submitted to the will of the Father. The Father came running to meet him, we read. And the boy started to say, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy, worthy to be your son. This is the part that always gets me. But the father smothered the repentant talk of the son on his shoulder and wouldn't hear it. He said, this is my son. Get some shoes. Bring a new robe. Get the ring. Kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. Now when we really submit to the father, he makes us immediately rich regardless of our financial condition. We're rich in promise. He promises us eternal life. We're rich in forgiveness. The past is wiped clean. We're rich in relationships. We have brothers and sisters who really care about us regardless of our financial condition as long as we're authentic. We're rich in purpose. We have reason to live. We're rich in generosity. We have a reason to give. We're rich in contentment. We learn to be content whether we have little or much. He submitted to the Father and immediately he was rich with the things of the Spirit. I tell you, beware of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Don't let possessions define you. But rather, let Christ define you. You know, I guess the entire series could be summed up in three phrases. God owns it all. Spend less than you make and be content with what you have. The whole series can be summed up in those three phrases. God owns it all. Spend less than you make and be content with what you have. So in answer to the question, how do we spend wealth wisely? Is wealth worth it? 
I tell you, wealth is worth it if we spend it wisely, realizing that we are fully accountable to God for all he has entrusted to us. And most importantly, and I end with this, most importantly, make Jesus your Savior and God your Father. And then you are spiritually rich. And that's the best wealth of all. Let's pray. Father, throughout this series, I believe many of us have been challenged to the very core of how we think about wealth, our relationship with possessions and resources. I pray that possessions and our money, God, they will not define us, but more so that our relationship with Jesus, that Jesus would define us. Jesus knew the power of money in people's lives. Lord, he even said, we cannot serve two masters. I pray that all of us would take a moment and honestly answer this question. Who do we serve? Do we serve our money? Or do we serve the God who saves us and gives us life? I pray the answer would be the latter. Father, I pray that you continue to challenge us. That our relationship with the resources that this world would give us would be a healthy one. That we would view it as a resource and a tool to complete your will. That we would use it for your glory and for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.